This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Welcome back to another non-award-winning edition of No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors before we go any further. Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric, Schofields, Carolina Bank Pepsi of Florence. Got a lot of product placement over here. Got some um, some patron or patron, I think it's patron, um, tequila, some Jefferson's Reserve um, bourbon. We're, we're trying to find a bourbon expert. I mean, if somebody out there could volunteer themselves, don't lie to us. Don't say you are when you aren't. Uh, but we need a bourbon expert. There's an interesting correlation of American politics and bourbon. Bourbon's Americana. I mean, there's a, there's an aging. There's a process. There's a science. Our good friend at Mickey Finns has um, furnished us with a um, a special edition of Jefferson's Reserve. And, and I'll say this, even to the Baptist. I mean, when you take a sip of Jefferson's Reserve um, or Jefferson's Ocean, for that matter, the uh, the the bells of liberty and freedom begin to ring. And sooner or later, you start quoting the Declaration of Independence. So once again, I want to thank our good friends at Mickey Finns. Here we go. At, um, at Marlboro PD Electric, Co-op, at Schofields, at Carolina Bank, and at Pepsi of Florence. Um, this is a post-Celsius edition of, um, of No Stop Lights because uh, the, the Celsius has some sort of um, energy initiative. <laughs> I don't know if it's caffeine or not, but, but there's something about this that, um, that stirs the soul and, uh, and, and kind of um, gets you amped up and ready uh, to do this. I, I do want to say that um, we're recording this on Holy Week. We're not going to mislead our listeners and say this is live and in living color. Um, this is during Holy Week. So um, real quick, uh, I'm not some spiritual superhero. don't profess to be a spiritual superhero. But Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is, in my opinion, uh, one of the most interesting and consequential periods of time in human history. Whether you believe Jesus was the Son of God, whether you believe Jesus was Savior of the world, whether you believe Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, um, there is no doubt of his consequence. I mean, there is no doubt of his um, importance, significance uh, to humankind, to mankind. Uh, the, the calendars are B.C. and A.D. Um, how's that? So, um, so take that, Donald Trump, as important as you think you are. There, there's this other um, 100% God, 100% man figure um, that took the cake and was more, uh, more, more important than, than anything. But it, it's just interesting to me. Once again, um, the miraculous story of Easter, uh, and that includes uh, a resurrection, uh, dead and, and alive again. You can't understand it. I can't understand it. Um, there are theologians and, and you know, um, religious doctrines and, and theses that have been written about the likelihood or not, the historical accounting or not. But, but, but I, I just think this period of time is a time to ponder and yearn and consider um, what matters in life. We're, we're talking a lot about politics here on, uh, on No Stop Lights, and it matters. I mean, it matters a great deal. But in the grand scheme of things, if there is an eternity, if there is a hereafter, I do believe that. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a professing Christian, and I believe that um, Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And I do believe that, um, that eventually we'll see our loved ones again. But, but once again, the, the supernatural, the miraculous are something that is hard to compartmentalize, especially when you're kind of a low IQ voter and someone with limited aptitude such as, um, such as myself. Happy Easter to all. Uh, this will be after Easter 
we're recording it before, but the Easter season is a, is a very consequential season in American history. It's, it's a bit ironic uh, that the, the goings on in politics in America today are, are that an American president is going to be um, arrested for a crime uh, that some believes he committed, some don't believe he committed. I, I, I look at Twitter a lot. I, I read a little bit of Facebook. I, obviously, because of what I do uh, as a quasi-member of the media, I have to be somewhat informed and versed. Uh, now, now my, my information and gathering of information, my um, understanding of information collides with my opinion a lot, and out of that comes a, uh, a radio show and, and now a podcast. So, so I want to I stay here because I prefaced any of the political remarks or commentary um, by, by saying this is Easter season. Trump ain't Jesus. So for you out there on Twitter land and trying to say the persecution, uh, I had someone tell me it's prosecution, not persecution. Well, it could be both. I mean, it could be a prosecution and a persecution um, going on. Trump ain't Jesus, but, but, I, but I'm pretty damn sure who the Romans are. And when you look at Donald Trump and you try to understand, you know, the, the chaos and the, the disruption and why in the world are so many people so opposed to Trump being the president of the United States for the first time, uh, running for re-election and now running for re-election again, as only Trump could. And, and I've got a lot of theories. I mean, we talked about Tucker Carlson a couple of podcasts ago. Tucker believes that a lot of this is about neoconservatism. Um, the fact that Trump is a president that doesn't have much of an interest in governing the affairs of people around the world. I mean, I think Trump accepts as president and as a candidate for president uh, the realities of, uh, of an American president having a, uh, a very prominent role to play in global affairs. Nobody denies that. I think, um, you know, we, we did a podcast a couple of weeks back about, you know, the, the post-Second World War world and the fact that America um, was, was very consequential, I guess that's our word of the podcast, in helping align, uh, you know, the winner of the war gets to decide what the rules of the next game to be played will be. And America um, had a lot of influence in the way the world looks today. Uh, I don't want to go down the road of, is this the end of the American century, the beginning of the Chinese century? Um, you know, that that's far too um, intellectual for me to address in meaningful fashion. But, but I do believe that a lot of the animus, a lot of the resistance toward Trump, it says Tucker Carlson said that he's not a neocon, and 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 people have gotten unbelievably wealthy off the military-industrial complex, off of the uh, ah, the American imperialistic worldview that America has an obligation, a responsibility, and um and a right. So some would argue a right to um to enforce certain ways of conduct in lands uh, far far away. I'm not a neocon. I think for a period of my political life, I probably was a, um, a neoconservative. I did buy into the fact that, um, that globalist trade was going to be good for America, that interventionism um, had to take place, whether we liked it or not, because uh, America was responsible for making sure the, the world operated a certain way. Um, and, and I say all of that to say this, that Trump is, uh, by definition, not a neoconservative. I don't think Trump's a conservative, to be honest with you. I think he's a very unique political figure. I think he's a political blunt instrument. I think he's the political wrecking ball. He's the proverbial uh, bull in a china shop, but, but, but he is a, a force to be reckoned with. And, and I would argue this week we, we saw, um, ah, I don't want to say a rebirth uh, of Trump as a viable, 
uh, presidential candidate. But but I saw you know we we talk a lot about the um the struggles of campaigns, the issues that politicians must and have to deal with, and you know in typical political times, running against a guy who has thirty four um, counts of indictment against him would would be a luxury. I'm not sure it is today, and uh, and I've said this on the radio and I'll say on the podcast. I'll look at the camera and say this to to prove I mean it. If there if there's nothing else I can convince you of. I hope I can convince you to be highly skeptical of what your federal government's motivations are. And once again, I didn't say be highly skeptical of everybody that works in the government. I didn't say be highly skeptical of everybody who's ever asked for your vote at the federal level. I'm arguing to be very skeptical of what the motivations are for people involved in our federal government. That's the elected officials, both executive and legislative and judicial in nature, um, that, that would be the administrative state. That would be the lobbyists, the consultants, um, all of those inside the beltway that have assumed enormous power and influence over our government, hence over, over uh, we the people. But, but let's go back to Trump for a second, because I think this is such an interesting phenomenon we're dealing with. So, so Trump gets indicted. Trump gets arrested. First time in American history, a former president has been indicted and arrested for a crime. Uh, I tried to explain it because I, I, I don't have many redeeming qualities. Uh, I guess winning elections, I was pretty decent at. Um, securing the seat after winning the election was something I had trouble with. Um, you know, my, my Twitter handle, scandalous former lieutenant governor of South Carolina. And I think I can speak with some degree of, um, of accuracy here. Campaign violation, campaign finance is very abstract. It's very inexact. It's very um, up for interpretation. But but when you look at the charges against former President Trump, uh, we we've got the um the the statement of facts here, and um and and I'll, I'll I'll read some of this verbatim and some I'll I'll editorialize. But every bit of the arrest and the the statement of fact from uh, the the uh, uh, Alvin Bragg, who's the district attorney in Manhattan, everything had to do with a hundred thirty thousand dollar payoff to Stormy Daniels for a non-disclosure agreement. Guys, ladies, some man will probably pay some woman today in corporate America or in American politics or in just life in general to be quiet about an affair they have. It may be consensual. It may be extramarital. Uh, it may be, uh, you know, a man and a woman, a man and a man, a woman and a woman. I don't know. I mean, we live in this, you know, um, gender-neutral world. So who knows what happens out there um, but but non-disclosure agreements are not that uncommon or unusual. I mean, they simply are not. They're legal. I mean, you, you pay uh, an amount of money to someone to be quiet about something that you believe could be embarrassing or hurtful to your family, your business, your political life. And 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 Alvin Bragg, um, in his statement of facts, is is pretty clear that he thinks the um. The central issue of the arrest is the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels. Um, the payment was made, and I'm reading the statement of fact, to Lawyer A. Now, now, Lawyer A is Michael Cohen. Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen um, using his own money. I mean, it was not campaign funds. It, it was not from a political action committee. Trump paid um, Stormy Daniels with his own money. That's legal. A non-disclosure agreement is legal. Um, the 34 counts, and this is kind of interesting, 
Uh, the 34 counts arise out of the fact that by that agreement, by, by the agreement made between Trump and lawyer A, there was an invoice or bill issued. There was a corresponding ledger entry. There was a payment itself. So the the invoice or billing to the to the Trump world, so it was a, there was a revocable trust that was billed for some of the assets. Trump was billed for others. But um, the, the issuance of an invoice or bill is, a, is an offense. The entry on a ledger is an offense. Uh, the payment itself is an offense. So in every single transaction, there were three offenses. So let's say that, that Trump reimbursed. Let's say he got monthly invoices for 11 months, and he did the formalities we just discussed um, three times. So 11 times 3 is 33. I mean, there are 34 offenses, and I don't know if that's exactly the way it, it transpired, but but I'm speculating that that is probably how we get um, to 34. The ledger entry is a is an account. Uh, the the issuing of an invoice is account, and I guess the check stub or payment itself would be uh, the the other account. So and once again, back of napkin math, 11 times 3 equals 33. Now now. Let's let's presume, or let's not presume anything. Let's go back to the to the document. I want to go back to the statement of fact, but because the the indictment alleges, and these are Alvin Bragg's words, not mine, that all of this was done. And here are his language. You ready? With intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime and aid and conceal the commission thereof. That that's his language, not mine. That is actually in the statement of fact included in the uh, incriminating information. But it never says what the other crime is. I mean, we're going to have to make an assumption. We're going to presume. Um, and a second crime is mandatory. That there has to be a corresponding crime because without it, falsifying a business record in the state of New York is a misdemeanor. And the statute of limitations has run out when it comes to, to the misdemeanor. So uh, District Attorney Bragg decided to indict and arrest a president, and as part of the statement of fact, not include, allow us to presume, allow us to speculate on what the the second crime may or may not be. Once again, there has to be a second crime because the statute of limitations has run out on um, on the first. Now, now we could easily argue that the first was not a crime, but but he's charged with a crime. He's been arrested for a crime. A grand jury has um, voted to indict. As a result of that indictment, there's been uh, an, an impending, excuse me, a, a consequential or subsequent arrest. But but let's assume, because that's what we're having to do. I mean, the first time we've ever, ever, ever arrested a former president, we're making an assumption. We're presuming, because Alvin Bragg won't tell us, that the second crime is alleged to be a campaign finance violation. Now, now, now the payment, you could easily argue, to Stormy Daniels did not violate um, campaign finance law. Now, included in the um, the statement of fact, there there are some um, salacious context and details about the um, the the other woman. That there's some uh, there there's some long narratives, including what the National Enquirer reported. Um, but no count in the indictment alleges or relates to the other woman. I mean, there's allegedly another woman, but but no count on the indictment relates at all to the other to the other woman um I, 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 i'll give an example because once again 
I don't have a lot of redeeming qualities. I am able at times to explain something that appears to be a bit complicated in a very simple way. So let's say that Trump is charged with jaywalking. And the district attorney decides, or no, let's say that um, that the arresting officer decides to charge you with 34 counts of jaywalking because it took you 34 steps to get from point A to point. You jaywalked. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you're guilty of jaywalking, but the arresting officer says, I'm charging you with 34 counts of jaywalking because I'm charging you for every step you took to get from one side of the road to the other. In essence, that's how that's how we get to 34. And I mean, it, it's it, it's 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 pretty wild that that we've we've gotten to a place in America. Um, you know, I mean, you could argue Trump derangement syndrome. You could say, you know, Trump asked for a lot of this. At at, at some point in time, guys. We have to accept responsibility that we're doing things we've never done before. I mean, arresting a former president and the statement of fact forcing the American public to speculate. I mean, for the life of me, if you've got the nads to arrest the guy, have the balls to tell us what the arresting information is. Uh, it's We're not arresting the homeless guy on 7th Street. I mean, the homeless guy on 7th Street thought about God a second ago. The homeless guy on 2nd Street is as meaningful in God's creative um, world as anybody is. But but the fact is, we've never in American history arrested a former president until last week, and here we are having to speculate and make an assumption or a presumption about what the corresponding the corresponding crime is. The, the absurdity and flimsiness of this arrest is, is something that should um, energize a lot of not just Trump supporters. Forget Trump's supporters for a second. I mean, they're with him through thick and thin. Um, they, they, they'll die on whatever hill he chooses to die on. What I want to spend a few moments on is trying to explain to independents that, you know, uh, th- th- they would vote Republican by and large, but they've chosen to take a pass on uh, the Republican side of the equation because they, 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 made, a, they made a decision that Trump is too uh, chaotic. Uh, let, let's talk about last week. So, Trump flies from Palm Beach to New York City. The every television camera in America is pointing in Palm Beach and then in New York and then in Washington. You, you have members of the uh, White House press corps pressing um, the uh, the spokesperson for the White House to please explain why you are so willing to discuss January 6th, uh, an ongoing investigation, but not uh, wanting to discuss at all of uh, the events of last week with the, you know, the arrest of of Donald Trump. And and the, and the point I want to make it and I'm talking independence for a second. To what degree was Donald Trump responsible for the chaos last week in Palm Beach, New York and Washington? I mean when you really stop and think about it. I mean we're we're going to arrest a former president for the first time in American history because he may or may not have had an affair with a uh, adult film star. He may or may not have I've been forced to pay. He may or may not, uh, you know, so some of the corresponding information. Uh, Stormy Daniels has had to reimburse Donald Trump somewhere in the neighborhood of $600,000 in legal fees because some people don't believe she's telling the truth. Now, now once again, I, I, we're parsing legalities here. We're, we're talking about, you know, did Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump have an affair? 
I mean, my, my friend Dave Baker's in the other studio producing the podcast. Let, let me ask you a question, uh, Rev. Yes, sir. Would it surprise you if Donald Trump had an affair with an adult film star? It would not. Would it surprise you if Donald Trump tried to keep that on the down low? It would definitely not surprise me. Would it surprise you if Donald Trump, um, as a part of his business life and personal life, would rather people not know about any of that. That would not surprise me at all. Okay, it would be it would be, it would be reasonable for be. a guy like that to make those those decisions. So so we've decided as a nation that Trump is so unacceptable that that we're going to bring charges not not for manslaughter, not for murder, not not for some sort of um serious offense, not reckless homicide, not not you know um DUI homicide. I mean some of these things that people should be charged with, should be incarcerated for, should be brought to trial, should bear the burden of, um, uh, you know, being uh, being a menace or danger to society. But but Alvin Bragg and about half of America, I mean, let's be honest here, this is not all about Alvin Bragg, half of America have decided they're okay with arresting a president or former president for the first time in American history on the flimsiest charge you could imagine. And it really frustrates me that we've become such a country that that is so unserious about understanding its government, uh, its constitution, its declaration of independence. I mean, I call it the Seinfeld generation. I mean, it's fun to watch Seinfeld, but, but I think we got to understand that and it really goes back to, to this American century that I like to talk about. I think that arresting Trump on these charges is another indication that America's in decline. How do I make that connection? If we've never arrested a president in American history and a president kills someone in cold blood, you and I would agree it doesn't matter if he's a former president or not. You can't murder anyone. True. I mean, you should be treated just as anybody should be treated. If If you rob a bank, I mean, if an American president gets in dire straits financially, and he robs a bank, um, that president should have to deal with the same um, legal consequence uh, of somebody who's not a former president. True. But but Agreed. we've gotten ourselves to a place, boys and girls, where half the country is okay with, with a president being arrested for something as flimsy as um, entering into a non-disclosure to, to secure privacy and, and silence from a female companion. Or, or did they have an affair? Uh, I don't know. Are they are they are they angry with one another? I don't know. Don't have any idea what the um, intricacies and details of that specific relationship are. But but guys, if we have gotten ourselves to a place where half the country are okay, now now once again, Alvin Bragg is a very very um, shrewd political operator. I mean, Alvin Bragg did what the liberal Democrats in Manhattan wanted done. I mean, he did what George Soros wanted done. He did what Barack Obama wanted done. He did what Chuck Schumer wanted done. He did what probably the Biden attorney general wanted done. I mean, he did the dirty work. And he'll be forever uh, marked in history as the guy who uh, may or may not bring down a president. But if we've gotten ourselves to a place in America where we're comfortable with, with this being normalized, in other words, we're comfortable with a president, a former president, um, being a victim of the weaponization of government to a point that the, the, the statement of facts does not include the essential charge. 
Because as we speak today, we don't know what the essential charge is. We, we know that there are anticipated felonies. I guess they'll be revealed in some sort of hearing, but we don't know and we'll have to make assumptions. And, and that's just, when I look at the polling, and it says 60% believe that this arrest was politically motivated. The indictment and, and subsequent arrests were politically motivated. How was that number not 90? I mean, how can 40% of Americans believe that politics aren't in play here? The guy that did um, the indictment, the guy that that basically, um, <sighs> Alvin Bragg was the guy that, that decided to propose and present the information of a grand jury um, I, I don't, I don't know how many of you've heard this before, but getting a grand jury convinced that a guy committed a crime ain't the hardest thing in the legal profession to do. Hence the old saying, you know, you could indict a ham sandwich, but, but we, we, we're, 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 we're allowing ourselves to water down our system of justice. We're allowing ourselves to, to accept things that should be completely and totally unacceptable in the political mainstream um, if Alvin, uh, excuse me, if D.A. Uh, Bragg were not such a Senate's leniency advocate, by that I mean 52% of all the charges brought to the D.A.'s office were reduced from felonies to misdemeanors. So, so this guy decides that because he's Donald Trump, we're going to try and shoestring or dovetail uh, a, a series of misdemeanors. I mean, I question whether they're misdemeanors. I have serious questions as to whether they're misdemeanors, but he's trying to basically connect these misdemeanors to a felony that, you know, maybe or may not disqualify President Trump from running for re-election again. But, but if he were some hard-ass district attorney, there's some consistency there. I mean, you still think it's a bad decision. You still think it's politically motivated. But, but once again, it's consistent with the way this district attorney has behaved. That's not the case. I mean, this is the rare moment in time. That he decides to um to basically connect a a series of misdemeanors to a felony while simultaneously allowing fifty two percent of felonious criminals to plead down to a misdemeanor. I mean, it's just it's completely and totally inconsistent with fact, reality, and truth. And sixty percent of Americans believe it's politically motivated. That means forty percent believe it's not. That is an absurd number. And if that number is reflective of where we are in America, we are genuinely sincere. Forget $33 trillion in debt. For forget Ukraine. For forget the, the petrodollar or petro yuan. Reading a lot about the petrodollar and petro yuan as we speak, um, uh, there, there's an interesting article out called Petrodollar Dusk, Petro Yuan Dawn. Forget all of that. But those are financial realities, and they do lead me and a lot of others who think about our nation and think about its future and think about its its prosperity and place in the world, standing in the world for that matter. But if we are if we are a nation today that that forty percent of our people believe that this was not politically motivated, that this was not an absolute abuse of prosecutorial discretion, then then we're done. I mean that 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 probably freaks me out more than thirty three trillion. Um, dollars in debt. That is a definable amount of it. We understand that. I mean, how do you pay that back? I don't know. How do you get out of that bound or bind? I don't know. But but if 40% of Americans today believe that this was genuinely about the rule of law and genuinely about doing the right thing and genuinely about prosecuting somebody who deserved to be to be prosecuted, 
then, I mean, we're done. But that number should be 3 or 4%. I mean, they're about 10% morons in America anyway, um, professing. I mean, they're clearly morons. I'd argue they're a lot more morons, but clearly 10%. People just don't have the intellectual capacity to sort through some of the, I don't know, minutiae of American politics. But um, I want to continue in just a second, kind of down this same track and same road. Let's take a break and thank some of our, thank some of our sponsors. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC Schofields, Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including Williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina, Check it out at MPDC Co-op or PDEC.com. We're back. So let's put a bow on this. I've tried to lay out the the statement of fact. I've tried to lay out the the indictment and the subsequent arrest. I've tried to articulate that that in, in, in a way that people who aren't legally trained or legally uh, understanding. I mean, we're not you gotta go to law school to understand some of this language and some of the um the processes and procedures of our judicial system. I know a lot of Latin, to be honest with you, to go down the road of being um, judicial in nature. But, but, but let's go back to Trump for a second, because a lot of people ask me this. A lot of people want to know, why such opposition to Cheeto Jesus? Why, why do so many oppose his, um, his candidacy, his, uh, his administration when he was president, the run for re-election, and there are, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, there, there, there's a multitude of reasons. I told you earlier that Tucker Carlson believes it's all about neoconservatism and the fact that American imperialism and the military-industrial complex have been very rewarding, um, satisfying, and gratifying, prosperous to, to a lot of Americans who have entrenched themselves into the bowels of government. I've got another theory, and, and you know, no question about it. I mean, there's no question that Donald Trump was a threat that the first legitimate threat of my lifetime to the political ecosystem that, that people have been rewarded so handsomely. In other words, we've got a limited GDP is finite. Uh, a radio show host and a podcaster deserves a certain amount of that GDP, but he's got to contribute a commensurate value. We, we, in a perfect world, um, the welder gets exactly what he's owed. The, the pipe fitter gets exactly what he's owed. The truck driver gets exactly what he's owed. Our, 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 our nation's GDP is enormous. I mean, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 trillion. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's an unfathomable amount of economic activity and prosperity. But what's happened in America, 
He is the, the, the truck driver, the teacher, the construction worker, the radio show host, podcaster, have not been able to receive their fair part of the, uh, the GDP benefit because those who have gained favor of government have gotten more than their, than their fair share. It is unbelievably lucrative to be in government's good graces. I want to say it again. If you don't listen to anything I say, I, I hope that I can convince you to be more skeptical, more cynical, more suspicious of what motivates our federal government to do what it does. And I don't want to call companies by name, uh, BlackRock, uh, Goldman Sachs, Boeing, uh, some of these other bigger brands that are so um, closely connected and tightly knitted um, to the government that they figured out a way to make hay. I mean, I'm not saying they aren't reputable companies. I'm sure they're very reputable companies. But a lot of the prosperity has been, I don't want to say leeching off government, but being in close communication with government. And they built a political ecosystem that was unbelievably rewarding. Um, helicopters and yachts and houses in the Hamptons. And and they're going to fight for that. I mean, they're going to fight you with everything they have to maintain that money, to maintain that lifestyle, to maintain that control and influence. And Donald Trump is unpredictable. Is Donald Trump a threat to their world? He is simply because he's unpredictable. He's chaotic. He's disruptive. You don't know what he's going to do next. And if your entire um, livelihood, I mean, if you've got a house in the Hamptons, a helicopter, and a yacht, and you believe that, that if something were to change on the inside of government, that that became somewhat of a threat to that, you're going to do every damn thing in your power to stop him. I mean, you're going to do everything in your power. You're going to lie, cheat, and steal. You're, you're going to disparage. You're going to insult. You're going to do anything imaginable. You don't want to sell your helicopter. You'd rather keep that second house in the Hamptons. You like going to Vail to that chateau you've got uh, in the Rocky Mountains. And the only way you can make sure that existence is not encumbered or, 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 or denied is to make sure the trains run on time in our nation's capital. So, yeah, Tucker believes that the majority of this is neoconservatism. I don't disagree. To say, and that kind of plays into what I'm talking about, the military-industrial complex. Um, some of the military-industrial complex. I mean, our, our defense budget will be $880 or $90 billion. I mean, imagine that nearly a trillion dollars will be spent on, on you know, in the name of national security and in, in the name of policing the world. Um, that money doesn't go to the bottom of a river. I mean, that money ends up in the coffers of business and, and business people. And whether we need that much money uh, to promote American imperialism, to export democracy, I mean, that, that is a very fair and legitimate thing. What should the Defense Department's budget be? Um, there, there are just so many businesses and cottage industries that depend on government to operate a certain way. And Donald Trump has convinced them that, that he'll change things if given the opportunity. Now, does Trump care about the core voter? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I mean, he's a Manhattan billionaire. He lives in a, in a, in a, in a big ritzy place in, in Florida. I have no idea if Donald Trump is sincere when he talks about the American working class. But they've latched on to this message. And they do look at it a little bit like us versus them. And, and, and I think Trump is more of a threat to become president today than he was prior to indictment, prior to arrest. And, um, and he has a loyal army. I mean, he really and truly has a loyal army. I told someone a couple of days back, um, I mean, I was on the Trump train. I, I've been a, a Trumpster because I felt, you know, I, I, I didn't believe America could fix itself with a scalpel. 
I mean, I, I've been in politics a long time. I've talked about politics for even longer. And, and I'd like to believe that the political world could heal itself. I'd like to believe that we could get back to the good old days of, of uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill. But it seems to me that, that we're at a kind of a zero-sum game and there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser and there's a battle for the heart and soul of America. And, and I think those who believe they're entitled to direct its course, to direct its path, seeing Donald Trump somebody that they better be careful with. And instead of being very careful with, they would rather seek and destroy. So, so when you see an indictment, you see an arrest, and you say, wow, I mean, that's not murder. That's not child abuse. That's not robbing a bank. I mean, that's a non-disclosure agreement and a series of, once again, invoices or bills, ledger entries, and payment itself. Stop looking at that. Stop looking at the payment to Stormy Daniels and start looking at the political ecosystem that, that our ruling class, our elites, our establishment had commandeered and are in control of and how unbelievably financially rewarding it is to have charge of the largest government in the history of mankind. <laughs>